Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be introducing you to our next special guest, dietitian, nutritionist and founder of Love What You Eat, Zoe Nicholson. Zoe has been working as a dietitian in private practice for nearly 20 years, where over those years, Zoe started and co-founded what's called the Moderation Movement with Jodie Arnott. The Moderation Movement started in 2014 and since has gathered around 40,000 followers on Facebook, where over the years, the movement has run many workshops and events around moving people away from the madness of the fitness industry. Zoe has also been recognised as one of Australia's leading dietitians with appearances on ABC Melbourne, Channel 10, Gold FM Radio, as well as had numerous media contributions, including with the Herald Sun, Women's Weekly and Body Plus Soul. On this week's episode, we will be speaking about the topic of healing our relationship with both food and body, where Zoe will explore how people can become so preoccupied with diet culture and really miss out on the best parts of enjoying food. So please, on that note, welcome our lovely guest, Zoe. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Zoe. My pleasure, Jesse. I'm looking forward to this chat. Would you be able to start us off with a little bit of background information about yourself and maybe talk about some things that you like to do to stay well? Sure. Okay. So um, the dietitian part of me, if you like, I've been a dietitian for almost 20 years now. It's crazy saying that. Um, So I have had my private practice for just about as long. Um, So I love working in private practice, doing one-on-one consulting, um, all online now, but you know, back in the day, pre-COVID, it was it was in the clinics. And my practice, I sort of talk about it being divided into two areas, but there's a lot of um, crossover and gelling that goes on um, in the sense I work with relationships with food. So people who are um, with weight concern, who are just don't have a great relationship with food, really struggling with their eating. Um, so disordered eating, eating disorders, all of that kind of thing. And then the other part of my practice is the food sensitivities, food intolerances. But that's where there's a lot of crossover because a lot of people with food sensitivities either have a eating disorder history or history of disordered eating, and that can be part of why they've got the gut issues. Um, but also being too restrictive with eating leads to some problematic eating behaviours that even if a person has a known food sensitivity can play into that as well. Um, so, you know, the more I've been practicing, the more I've realized that the relationship with, so even if someone has a food sensitivity, having a, as calm as possible, sort of happy relationship with food is, needs to be at the foundation, the base. So that's kind of 
really where I've positioned myself. Um, and when I'm not being a dietitian, um, I love stuff to dancing. So to answer that second part of your question is what do I do to, to stay well? So um, yeah, I in my 39th year, just before my 40th birthday, I did, had just been, a, been a, an aerobics person my whole life and just got really fed up with it. And I'm like, I need to do something else and went home and Googled. I thought about doing some sort of Latin dancing and did my first salsa class and then the rest is history, as they say. So I've been doing it for seven or eight years now. And I love it. Like it's it's just, it's a skill that so you're always learning. It's a form of movement. So it's like exercise is a side effect of doing something that I love, which is dancing. Um, and of course it's very social. So it nurtures so many different aspects of, of health. Yes. Um, Yes, and then we get to go out social dancing on the weekend. So where in my younger years, it might have been a nightclub and go out nightclub dancing. These days, just go to a place where people just go to, to salsa dance. Yes, I love the salsa dance. Fun. And I love what you're yeah. also talking about is how people who have food intolerances who kind of may have restrictive type diets tend to fall into the eating disorder space. It's so understandable if you have to be restrictive in some ways that it can kind of cross over to other areas. It can, yeah. And then it's the, the other, uh, it sort of works the other way as well, whereas a lot of people who have developed a functional gut disorder or IBS, it is because of their eating disorder or disordered eating history. So um, there's, yes, there's, that's a whole big conversation that, we won't get into now, otherwise you won't better we won't better go through all the other questions. Um, but one more aspect about me, I guess, is um, you want to know is yeah. my dogs. So my partner and I um, live in Yarraville, and we have two fur two fur babies, um, a golden retriever Bailey and a, a Ridgeback cross Rottweiler Maya, and they're just they're the love of our life. So oh. We love dogs, and they just. Yeah, they're the best people. <laughs> I love dogs too. Don't <laughs> I'm obsessed with my dog. <laughs> yeah. What kind of dog have you got? A uh, sausage dog, a dash hound. Oh, they're very cute. There seems to be a sausage dog craze at the moment, I feel. I, I feel like I'm seeing more sausage dogs than ever. They're very cute. I can understand though. <laughs> <laughs> so each week on the podcast, we do like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced and how they have managed to overcome it. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm chuckling, which your listeners can't see. Um, okay, so we have lived at our current house in Yarraville for 15 years and we are looking at knocking down and rebuilding. And as my partner likes to say, our house is knocking itself down. So we're getting to a point we really have to do something. And this is an interesting challenge, finding, building in 1923, as I have clients and builders that are like, you're bad. Um, <laughs> because of the, the building industry or the whole construction industry is a little bit, um, there's lots of, lots of issues, let's say. So it is a challenge to find a builder, to work, get a design, a house that's going to give you everything you want with not the biggest budget in the world. So in terms of the challenges, are, it's actually been a really good challenge. So the last, since we made the decision a few months ago, saving every penny, really knuckling down, um, sort of really given us both some direction in terms of what we really want, which is outside of our budget, and what we can possibly do to get there. It is possible. We just have to really 
yeah, start budgeting and saving and, but also just going through the process of what is it that's going to, what's going to meet our needs, finding the right builder. Um, it's a big thing, but it's exciting. But I don't know that that classes is a challenge, but that feels like the, it's a good challenge. I think that's a yeah. challenge for a lot of people, especially during COVID, just even finding the right tradies. Like my mum's always trying to do renovations and she can just never find tradies. You need to book them in mm. months ahead. You really got to find yeah. them and secure them and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good when you get the finished product. Things do move. Yes. <laughs> so on the topic of today, we are going to be speaking about healing your relationship with food and body. So what do you see as some of the causes for people maybe developing an unhealthy relationship with food? Okay, big question. Lots of things, but I guess um, ultimately diet culture, which I'm, I imagine it seems like everybody understands what that term means now is familiar with it, probably because we are very much immersed in a diet culture, but it, I guess it goes, it's a much bigger picture than that in terms of um, the thin ideal. Um, our mainstream medical thinking that in order to maintain a level of health, you need to stay at a quote-unquote healthy body weight um, and any amount of quote-unquote extra weight is somehow damaging to health. So I guess the pressures come from there's the health aspect, there's the aesthetic aspect, the sense, the self-worth. So um, to quote, I think it was Naomi Wolf who wrote a book called The Beauty Myth, um, one of the biggest lies we females are taught from a fairly young age is that our self-worth is in our appearance. Um, so we do live in a world that thin equals, um, you know, more attractive, more successful, healthier, just better, more worthy, all of those things. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to escape that, even if intellectually you know that you have, if you're in a bigger body, if you have good health, if you have good relationships, you have the things you need, the things that you value in life, when your body doesn't look the way the world says it should look, it's um, a constant struggle. And so how people feel about their bodies ultimately um, is what damages the relationship with food. So the pursuit of losing weight, whether that's for perceived health reasons or to fit into clothes that don't fit you anymore or for a holiday or for whatever it is, um, the only way to actively lose weight really is to restrict food in some way, shape or form, which is dieting. And then that's what creates the unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. And like we know in the eating disorder space, those who may be thin may, you know, be very unhealthy. So it really is a, isn't a determinant of health and wellness and happiness. No, no. So how do you maybe assist someone if their relationship with food is based on self-criticism, strict food rules um, and restrictions? I guess it's exploring all of those things. So usually when people come to, to me, they feel awful around food, often awful around food. They know they have some eating behaviours that aren't healthy, whether that's, you know, getting, well, I was going to say getting over hungry and then overeating. Often people don't realise it's the getting over hungry that is the issue. They see the what they feel is out of control eating when they feel they overeat or binge eat or emotionally eat. They're seeing that as the issue. 
And one of the first things I do with people is explain all the, the physiology of how our body works and how restriction, if your body is running short on fuel, um, that is the biggest driver for any eating that feels like it's out of control or overeating. And it's not a lack of willpower or self-control. I say it's, you are a successful human if you can't resist eating when you're hungry. So, so I, there's some analogies I use. I can share them with you if you like, which really help people understand, okay, the reason I'm struggling with this eating behavior is because of this. So I can give you what I call the breathing analogy, if you like. Um, and I explain to patients or people, clients, that there is, we have some basic biological drives that we can only override to a point. So we need to breathe, we need to sleep, and we need to eat. And I, sometimes I ask people, I say, how long can you hold your breath for? And most people don't know. And we say, oh, maybe 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And I say, okay, let's make you hold your breath for two minutes. And then we let you breathe. Would you breathe normally? Or would you be gasping for air? What would you say? Gasping. <laughs> yeah. And then I would say to you, do you have control over that? No. No, your brain will override that at some point you will be gasping for air. If we found a way to make you stay awake for an entire week, maybe two weeks, oh. and, then we, and then we let you sleep. Most of us would have 20, 30, we'd sleep for a lot longer. Wow. So, yeah. And no one's seeing that as an issue because um, we're not expecting anyone to hold their breath for inordinate length of time or stay awake for a week or two. But because we live in a world where, expecting, where people are expected to try and lose weight and eat less to do that, we're all duped into thinking that that's what we should be doing. So A, it's what we should be doing, and B, that it's possible, but exactly the same thing happens. If you restrict food to a, a point that your body recognises there's not enough, at some point your brain is going to override and you are going to be like gasping for air, you're going to be gasping for food. And there's a, a primal need for food a biological drive which will cause you to um, feast, essentially, eat as much as possible. So when people are struggling with binge eating behaviours, um, I'll often use the word feast because binge has got this negative connotation. The binging is not the issue. That's the symptom. That's the natural, human, normal, healthy biological response to getting over hungry. So often, particularly with eating disorders, with the binge, there's a, a strong, there's a psychological driver as well, which needs to be addressed alongside the physiological driver, the physiological driver being getting too hungry. But I always say the best psychologist in the world or the best psychology-based strategy is going to fall short if you're underfed or if you're actually, if you don't have enough fuel on board. Definitely. It's like going too extreme. It's always going to have that opposite type effect or an extreme effect. Yeah, but I think that really helps people to see that the issue, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not broken. Um, they actually just need to not get over hungry. And then we talk about, I um, explain normal appetite regulation and why for most people, it's normal to feel hungry roughly every three hours, so three waking hours, every three waking hours um, and getting people to eat more regularly throughout the day. Um, I had one client, Said to me once, which I've um, used this this many times, but this epiphany that she had that she's like, oh my gosh, to eat less, I just had to eat more. <laughs> so, um, so yes, helping them recognize why the behaviors are happening and that it's not their fault, it's their body's natural response, and then what they need to do. And very quickly, if people 
um, are on, and, and most people are. One of the things I hear time and time again is how powerful the permission to eat is. So just having someone tell them that I want you to experiment with eating something every few hours and that permission to eat, which when, you know, I often have this conversation with my clients, it's kind of crazy that we need permission to eat. Like no one's giving us permission to breathe. It's a basic, you know, um, biological drive to keep us alive, um, need to keep us alive. Um, so very quickly, once people start eating regularly and eating more or eating adequately, that out of control feeling eating, overeating, binge eating um, really starts to drop off and dissipate. Sorry. And a lot of them might come from childhood as well. You know, your parents tell you when you can eat, how much you can eat, maybe school, recess, lunch, what you're given. So it could be like ingrained as well in that sense. So when you get older, you kind of, you might underestimate it, overestimate it, just really have no idea where to really start. Yeah. I like to, I like to blame the diet world, <laughs> number one, in that because there's, you know, eating late, like that's, that's the message we get. Okay, I need to lose weight. I've got to eat less. So any form of diet really is, is under eating. Um, and, and then that's what causes all the issues. But also even I've worked with a lot of people who haven't actually done much dieting, but they still don't necessarily understand their appetite or have a lot of uh, connection to their appetite or they're not using their appetite to guide their eating. And I think that's because we live in a world where, where we're so busy doing so many different things and we eat because it's a meal time. We eat because we're bored, we eat because we're stressed, we eat because someone's put food in front of us, we eat because there's so many reasons we eat. And we're not talking about appetite. Like unless you're having conversations around intuitive eating or in the sort of non-diet health and exercise space, um, people aren't talking about appetite really when it comes to eating. We talk more about meal times and portion sizes and what we quote-unquote should or shouldn't eat as opposed to, am I hungry? How hungry am I? What do I feel like eating? What's going to satisfy me? Yeah, I agree. And I think that really needs to be incorporated more because, you know, you might be with people and they'll be like, oh, no, we're not going to eat yet. Like everyone wait another three hours. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So what about for people who maybe deprive themselves of food and maybe compensate for food they've eaten what would you kind of do in that circumstance well it'd be the same so explaining all the physiology some of those analogies I went through before so they can understand why not eating enough well I suppose you can deprive yourself of food and actually still eat enough food energy um, that's where we get to the psychology but if someone's just not eating enough food um, if they're experiencing adverse behaviors because of that it's getting them to really understand why that's the case um if they're depriving themselves of foods that they enjoy um we have the discussion around how it's really normal healthy human psychology to want more what we can't have it's just the way our brains are wired it's not just food it's with everything in life um i used to use the example of you, know, you might be doing a bit of shopping you see this pair of shoes and you're like oh my god they're so cool but you're kind of looking around at other stuff and then someone comes and says i want to try on those shoes and all of a sudden now you want them more because someone else has taken them. Um, but, it, but if the shop assistant went out the back and said, oh, there's another 100 pairs out the back, you'd be like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not so fast. And then since COVID, I've used that as the example because all of us, no matter how um, level-headed we were and recognise that the world wasn't going to run out of food, 
I think all of us bought a few extra potatoes and a few more and put an extra thing of sausages in the freezer and <laughs> so that then the whole toilet paper thing of you know scarcity makes mm -hmm. our brain anxious yeah. abundance allows us to feel calm so when you're depriving something that you want it makes you think about it more it makes you focus on more you can have a greater heightened dopamine response when you eat that food it becomes more desirable um so actually another example i use for that is um it's part of a, a desert analogy i'm full of analogies whether or not we get into that today but this idea of you've got a food that you particularly love uh, i use the example of a client yesterday and her um, almond croissants Ooh. but you know if we locked her in our house for six weeks and only fed her almond croissants what would happen and she was able to recognize that she'd get sick of them very quickly so but at, the, at this stage she's still like oh, i just can't touch almond croissants i can't be with them because i'm just gonna lose control and eat them all and she does she manages to not eat the almond croissants but then she there are other things that she will end up compensating for and i know that eating Compensation can also go the other way, of course, where you might have eaten a certain amount of food and then go to the gym to burn off those calories or, I mean, all of it is, is just part of that stressful relationship with food, mm. the, the constant preoccupation, trying to calculate everything, work everything out. And it's exhausting. It's probably one of the most common terms I hear people say in the first session. We're like, I'm just, I've been doing this, I've tried this and it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. It takes up too much headspace. And like you were saying with the scarcity mindset, you know, if everyone's eating the birthday cake or an almond croissant is offered and you say no, how are you going to feel that day? What are you going to do? Do you think you'll go in, in an extreme at some point or will it come out in another way? Will you be holding on to that experience? Exactly. Yeah, you say no to the almond croissant at that point and then later on that day and you have a bit of a stressful incident and you're like, like oh it was so good today I didn't have the animal croissant it's like stuff that I'm gonna eat the biscuits now and then you eat the whole packet of biscuits and there's yeah sort of flow on effects like that as well yeah and you would probably so easily just be able to see if someone is completely consumed by diet culture yeah um you know what the interesting thing is with this process the intuitive eating using the intuitive eating framework or the non-diet approach it's very quickly clients are pulling themselves people are pulling themselves up on their own language Oh. so because it's like we all know it it's not mm. like it's, it's just for a lot of people it's like oh, it just needed to be pointed out to me I just needed to be put on the right path um so yeah people actually start to recognize very quickly when they're thinking or they're how they're talking about food um is very much aligned with that cultural diet thinking um they don't always pick up on it in you know um straight away so I'll I'll pull them up on it so I encourage you probably you've seen me doing this but the listeners won't so I've been saying quote unquote various times so often in, in my zoom consults with people whenever I'm using anything that is diet language I do the air quotes or this idea of even quote unquote healthy weight healthy weight range like all these things that have the meanings being twisted wherever a meaning has been twisted or it's not as black and white as the way in which we use the language I do these little air quotes and I encourage my clients to start doing it too. So it kind of helps the brain recognize that, hang on a second, there's more to it than that. Yes. So we've talked a lot about, I guess, the unhealthy type of relationship with food, but what maybe then are some healthy um, relationships with food? What does that look like? Ah, I give a gazillion different ways. I say there's, there's 
there's no right way to eat. There's no such thing as perfect nutrition. Having a healthy relationship with food is going to look, um, in terms of the actual diet, will look could look very different person to person. Um, in terms of how we think and are around food, it, it might be more individual, but it's just really not thinking about things too much, not overthinking things. So you think about food when you're hungry, your stomach release is going like, oh, that's my petrol light coming on, I'm hungry. Um, you think about food in terms of might be lunchtime, it's like, okay, well, what have I got to eat? What do I feel like? And a really important point to make to any of your listeners um, who might be uh, working through the intuitive eating process or thinking about it is as an intuitive eater, it is really normal to actually not know what you feel like eating. So it's not like if you're practicing intuitive eating, you're like, oh, I don't know what I feel like eating, that you're failing at it. Half the time, I don't know what I feel like eating. I get to lunch, I'm like, okay, what have we got? What's going to what's gonna fill the hole? What's going to taste good enough? Sometimes, you know, sometimes like, yep, absolutely, I feel like that. But the point being is you think about food because you need to, because you're hungry, you need to eat. You're deciding what to eat for dinner. You're deciding where to go out for dinner. You're going to the supermarket to buy food. But the rest of the time, you're not thinking about food. Unless maybe you're in a profession like mine where you're talking about food a lot. But again, it's not it's not thinking about food and in a worrisome, stressful, oh, my God, should I eat that? Should I eat that? So someone with a healthy relationship with food, I would say, isn't really too concerned or concerned at all about the energy, calories, even the new, like there is some concern for nutrition, but it's it's more about getting a variety of foods, core food, group foods, as opposed to how much protein, fat, or carbohydrate you may have eaten. I have no idea how much protein, fat, or carbohydrate I eat in a day. I know I get a variety of all three of those macronutrients, but I couldn't tell you how much. Um, I want to say a healthy relationship with food is you get pleasure from food. Now, some people are self-proclaimed foodies. They just love everything about food. That's not everyone. Some people are like, yeah, take it or leave it. It's not interested in cooking. But they can still get some pleasure from their food when they're hungry and they eat a meal. So, um, but essentially, yeah, no, the, the, the guilt, the shame, the anxiety, the obsession is not there. No. But you probably work with a lot of clients who do have um, challenges with food. So what mm-hmm. would you maybe are some of the main type of themes and challenges that kind of come up for clients? Um, I guess the reason, nearly always the reason they're coming to see me weight concern is part of it. Mm. Um, most of my clients understand that this is not going to be about pursuing weight loss, which doesn't mean they still don't want to lose weight. I, think that's, I always acknowledge that with clients. It's totally okay to want to lose weight given the world we live in, what we said right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, but this approach is more, is, it's, it's recognising how the pursuit of weight loss has led to the really complicated, stressful relationship with food. And then it's um, learning how to eat in a way um, that is nourishing, that is pleasurable, and then yeah, really healing that relationship with food. Yeah, common theme and challenge is the weight concern. Yeah. Um, so the, another co- like common themes, challenges are how they feel about their eating. So they feel like they're out of control around their eating, emotional eating, the common one, but that nearly always stems from weight concern. 
And I really like that you acknowledged the body side of things as well, because you probably get a lot of clients, yeah, who are coming to you with struggles with their body. Um, how would yeah. you kind of help them make those changes with food when I guess they're expecting restriction or completely clean or expecting this extreme outcome or process? Yeah. So um, we, we work on relationship with food and we work on relationship with body. So there's a, a body, I, I, in the first session, we'll talk a little bit about body image, body image and the fact that body image is, for most people, the bigger piece to the puzzle. And I always check in to see if anyone's done any body image work before, like particularly if they've seen a psychologist. Um, this is the really interesting thing, and this is not a comment on psychologists at all. They do a fabulous job. Um, is that rarely has anyone, that, so the clients that come to me that have had decades, often a lifetime of struggle with body and food, and these are, so women in their, well, I see women, you know, late teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, they've never had a conversation around body image. They've never done any body image work. It is the massive piece to the puzzle that is missing from um, mainstream dietetics, dare I say, our training at uni, uh, but also but just diet culture in general. This idea that, okay, your body is quote-unquote wrong, you need to fix it, this is how you do it, rather than actually addressing why people feel the way they do about their bodies, which then obviously drives all the, um, the dieting and problematic eating. But, of course, you perhaps can see how that's overlooked because we have such a... a strong mainstream blanket view that people need to lose weight to manage their health and I think because like you were saying in the society it would probably be quite scary and shameful to even come forth and say that you're struggling with your body image or that you've had these types correct. of thoughts because no one really speaks about them yeah correct it's a, it's a massive source of shame yeah mm. And it's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. And it's good that you are starting that conversation with people. Yeah. Yes. Myself and I would say any other dietitians, psychologists, therapists, nutritionists that work in this, this space. I mean, you can't, you can't do this work without having a conversation about body image. Whereas I haven't always been a non-diet dietitian. So the first few years of my practice, I was your traditional try and help a patient lose weight. Um, and there wasn't really conversations around body image because it was just, okay, I'm going to, let's work on your, let's work on this meal plan and work on what you need to get in to get your nutrition and help you lose weight. And, and then you're losing weight. So how are you feeling better because you're losing weight? Um, yeah. So the, the body image didn't really come into it. I did learn very quickly. Didn't take many consults for me to realize that weighing people wasn't all that helpful. Um, it would just leave people, often people would be distraught or, it just it just didn't seem helpful so I stopped doing that pretty early but then within my profession before I entered this field um there was very much no but that's what you must do it's the tools of the trade it's how how are you going to monitor progress so there were times when I went back to it but again um yes it stopped again very quickly that is so interesting because you would have started working with people who, you know, would have tried that pursuit of don't talk about body image, don't talk about like the psychological side of things and just, you know, aim to lose the weight maybe rapidly or what would you kind of see from those type of patients in regards to even their 
body image or mentality or was anything shifting for them or they just so um I, I now am very happy to acknowledge that what I was doing was just another form of dieting with patients. Um, when I first encountered this non-diet approach and that was actually pointed out to me, I was like, no, I'm not putting people on diets. I'm not doing that. And then, then I actually started to realise that, okay, yes, I am. But also having practised for a few years where I people follow, when people follow the meal plan, they often lost weight. And then after, and then maybe they stopped seeing me after six months a year. And then two years later, three years later, five years later, they'd bring me back. Oh, I saw you, you know, back in whatever, 2007, 2008, and, you know, I lost 10 kilos, and but it's come back on again. I need to see you again. And this is the, the, the classic cycle. So there's about 50% of people have regained the weight within um, a year, and almost everyone has regained it within five years. And so working in that space for seven or eight years, then I I could see that pattern. I was doing exactly what Weight Watchers was doing, was doing and Jenny Craig was doing and yeah. And I was I also helped worked with some people who no matter how hard they tried, the weight wouldn't shift. And I, I could see how awful they felt about themselves. One of the that's you know quickly where I stopped weighing people because it just wasn't helpful. And I you know very quickly realised there was a lot more psychology to it and was um, working on the sort of psychology of eating, but in a very different way to what I am now. And you can see that it's all just based in the aesthetics and it doesn't seem to have even that fulfilling outcome anyway. There's just so much more to being healthy and happy and, and totally food yeah. than that type of way of approaching it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So how might you kind of support someone if maybe they were progressing really well with healing their relationship with food and body and then maybe they kind of relapse back into diet culture type mentalities or someone in their life has been influencing them yeah. um, once you've gone through everything and they've progressed so far and you can see that they know um how would you kind of support someone in that circumstance yeah, so to have a have a bit of a wobbly patch or a complete regression or whatever people like to call it is really normal. So I think it's having that conversation with them. It's like, yeah, you've come so far, you've seen these changes and now, um, and it's exploring with them that so since they have been focusing more on weight or thinking about restricting food, how has that changed their eating behaviours? Um, and usually their eating behaviours have worsened. And the conversation I have with people is to say that you didn't necessarily need to do anything different over the last month or two weeks or however long it is that you've had this bit of a wobble. Um, so most people, it's almost like they need to have that experience as part of the learning process to see that when they stop do, perhaps doing those things that we were talking about earlier on that felt really good, um, how problematic that is. And they can see that, oh, yeah, maybe I've started binging again and I'm just feeling awful about myself or I've stopped doing this. or um, And... I think sometimes that's people need to go through that to to actually realize that okay, as much as I really want to be smaller, fit into those clothes, that actually it creates all these problematic behaviors. And I'm always at pains to say to people, you are not failing at the process for wanting to lose weight or for having these thoughts. Um, you know that that is normal. Actually. A, brilliant um, concept that I came across in the eating disorders book is you are not responsible for your first thought or set of thoughts 
that you are responsible for the next, the second thought or second lot of thoughts. So, so do a lot of work around getting people to understand that only the core part of the work and the, the core sign of progress is not in the eating, necessarily the eating behaviours even, certainly not what they're eating um, and certainly not their body shape or size. It's how they process information. So the ability to recognise certain thoughts, be able to take a step back from them, challenge those thoughts, reframe those thoughts, that's where the key work is. And that idea of when a negative thought pops in or a diet thought or whatever thought it is, is that, yeah, you're not responsible for that. That's the, that's the way we're conditioned to think by the culture that we live in. That's the influence, the thing that your doctor just said to you, the thing that your partner said to you, the wedding invite that you got and you had to get a new dress. Or, um, But the work is in taking responsibility. Okay, I'm having these thoughts. Now how do I manage them and what am I going to do with them? Yes, and showing yes. us compassion as well. Yes, so I have to say the two most, as a dietitian, I feel like the two most important skills that I'm working with people are self-awareness and self-compassion, not nutrition. Yeah, but like you're saying with the thoughts, it's hard to have that self-awareness when the thoughts just come in all the time and, yeah, you just might get consumed and you didn't even realise. Yeah, yeah. So would you have any advice for someone um, around healing your relationship with food and body? So I think if you're at that point where you know, and people do know, I think you, I think people recognise when their relationship with food is, has got a bit off track. Um, it's really interesting people I get that come to me that have never dieted before, but they started doing something because someone suggested it, whether it's intermittent fasting, it's popular at the moment, or keto, or they started tracking calories. And very quickly they realise that this, there's something not right about this. This is not good for my brain. This is not healthy. So I think people are aware of that um so if a person if you're at that point and you want to reach out for for help um find a dietitian that's trained in the non-diet approach so in australia we have um, non-diet approach training so you won't get a mainstream dietitian that's going to write prescriptive meal plans or put you on shakes um it's grieves me to say that that happens, but I, I hear that it happens. Um, so just, you know, quite restrictive diet. So, or someone that's um, trained in intuitive eating. So there's an intuitive eating certification that they have um, in America. Um, but the non-diet approach training in Australia is essentially the same thing. Um, also finding someone, whether it's a, so a dietitian, nutritionist trained in that area or a psychologist or therapist um, that's also what was health at every size aligned? There's a bit of a switch that's happening at the moment. So the health at every size models is still very much the model that I work under. But in Australia, we've um, brought in the size inclusive health Australia. So making sure that the practitioner that you're working with is registered with size inclusive health Australia, because then they've um, had their it sounds a bit schoolish, they've had their website assessed. Basically, we um, so the practitioner has been assessed to ensure that they are accredited and practising in, in an ethical way for this process because, of course, like with all good things in life, they can get corrupted. So there are podcasts I've heard from clients um, that claim to be intuitive eating but that also promise weight loss. And so, yes, looking at um, 
finding someone to help you and have a good read through their website, see if what they're saying um, resonates with you. Um, and then, yeah, just you can take that first step and make an appointment. Yes. And like you were saying, you'd want to find a dietitian working in the eating disorder space rather than the non-eating disorder space. Um, yeah. Yeah. So on the very last question, how would you support someone who maybe doesn't trust their body around foods? Uh, good question. And that is pretty much everybody I work with. <laughs> so I say di dieting teaches people to mistrust their body. Um, you know, they stop listening to their body cues. And actually, sometimes a, a, an easy way to differentiate between are you dieting or are you eating intuitively, which essentially should just be eating normally, um, is if you are following external information, so whether it's a meal plan, a portion size, calories, whatever it is, you're not using your body to guide you with what, when or how much to eat. You're using the external information that's dieting and over time, you, you stop trusting your body or if you're given a certain amount of food that you should eat and but you feel hungry all the time um like you feel like you can't trust there's something wrong with your body like my clients will say to me I'm just hungry I'm hungry all the time um I get clients yeah that they think there's something wrong with them because they're hungry all the time and then when I explain actually it's normal to feel hungry roughly every three hours I'm like oh really so most people that I work with when I first start working with them don't trust their body through the intuitive eating framework people learn to trust their body again um, and that happens through eating more regularly eating enough eating food that they enjoy which then they get to the evening they're like oh actually I don't necessarily want that so the problematic eating that often is happening in the evening when as that starts to drop off they they go oh I can trust my body I do want to say no sometimes or I don't want to eat it all sometimes and that's just that's just a natural evolution of the process is through the experiences they have, they start, they start being able to trust their body. Yes, and it is amazing when people do start to go through that and get to that point, so it's nice. Yeah. So for anyone who would like to find more information about you, where could they find you? So the easiest way to find me is online. So if you Google love what you eat, you could throw a dietitian in, but I'm pretty sure if you just Google love what you eat, you'll get my website and there's loads of information about all the services and, and me and Kerry who works with me. Um, also social media, of course. So my main, I mainly use Instagram and I always have to go to my Instagram page to actually make sure I get, get the right handle. So I'm zoe.dietitian.lovewhatyoueat and everything I post on Instagram just goes to Facebook, um, trying to juggle two separate well, maybe no one does it anymore. Um, so they're the, the, so yes, if you're on Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram. If you're on Facebook, you can follow me on Facebook. You'll get the same content. And if you're on both, you can, you can double up. And there's also moderation movement. So the moderation movement, which on Instagram, we are the, the moderation movement. And again, goes to um, the Facebook page. So and you've got an amazing blog on your website, which I really enjoy. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Zoe, for this interview. It's been wonderful. Hi, my pleasure, Jesse, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you again. Yes. Thank you. See ya.
Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.